I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Jim. Uh, I trust you had a, a nice Thanksgiving holiday with your family. I did. I did. Was uh, was stayed local and uh, was with my my in-laws. Very nice turkey day. How about you? Uh, we had the usual gathering of the clan here at my house. It was uh, a good event. It was uh, a lot of turkey was eaten. A lot of football was watched. Now we're going to get back into it. And we've got a very important uh, conversation here today. Uh, with a guest I think our, our, our listeners are going to find very interesting. As uh, Congress gets ready to uh, work, I will predict that they'll work right until Christmas Day to get something done. Um, but after that, they come back uh, and we're in 2022, the midterm elections. Uh, everybody's been watching uh, the forthcoming elections probably since the last election, uh, but we have a real expert with us today. Uh, Jim, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? Sure. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, well, I, I, we're glad to be joined today by Tim Persico, who's the executive director of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the, the DCCC. Uh, and, and Tim's a, a seasoned political strategist with more than 15 years working for, for in democratic politics and, and, in, and in the government. Uh, and Tim has worked on campaigns up and down the ballot and across the country, and he's also the, has also been the chief of staff for New York Democratic Representative Sean Patrick Maloney, who's also the head of the DCCC this year. Uh, and he's a, like I said, a seasoned campaign strategist uh, and consultant. And we're uh, we're pleased to have you with us here today, Tim. Uh, welcome to Housing Developments. Thanks, guys. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for all you guys do. Thanks. Well, we appreciate having you, Tim. And I, I guess I'd like to start off with uh, the first question, uh, and that would be to ask you about redistricting and how you see that as impacting your job, uh, which just so the listeners are, are very clear on it, is to not only maintain the current House majority, but to grow the House majority. Uh, how do you see redistricting playing into that, that effort? Sure. Uh, well, redistricting, obviously, uh, you know, it, it, it cuts both ways. Um, I think that we have been following very closely, been engaged, you know, to the, to the degree appropriate in the, you know, redistricting comings and goings, uh, state by state. Um, I think that all in all, it's, it's about a wash, you know, um, there are some, uh, there's some states that are, uh, you know, very aggressive, some states that go for more of a, you know, a, a least change model. Um, I think that above all, the greatest challenge that the Republicans have in their redistricting strategies is that we have more voters than they do. And so it's hard. Ultimately, it's a challenge uh, for them to be as aggressive as I think they'd like to be. And so I think that is what constrains them. In, yes. in areas where uh, I know, for example, in Atlanta, uh, there's now going to be a situation where you're going to have um, two current sitting members of the House and uh, two current Democrat sitting members of the House going against each other in the primary. Um, what will you guys do in those situations? And I think perhaps more importantly to our listeners, what do you advise the uh, the business community to do? Uh, so in scenarios where our members are, are drawn together, um, we don't do anything. 
We are first and foremost a, a member-driven organization, uh, and so uh, it would be, you know, improper for us, I think, to get involved in those sorts of scenarios. Um, I think it is ultimately, you know, the 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 example of Georgia is a, is a good one. I think ultimately it's it's kind of unfortunate that that is happening because you have. In, in the state of Georgia, you, you've got a, a great population growth, right? Um, it's being primarily driven by communities of color. Uh, and those communities are not going to be, you know, uh, they're not going to be appropriately represented if this map stands. Uh, and you have this, you know, these two phenomenal members of Congress who are really good. They're really hardworking. As you mentioned in the introduction, I uh, I worked as a chief of staff on the Hill for a while. I think I, you know I worked for a, a member who was who was pretty bipartisan and who was really results oriented. You know, still is um, Sean Patrick Maloney, uh, and a guy who you know works really closely with your members in in the Hudson Valley uh, of New York, and I think you know has a reputation for you know he's a Democrat for sure, but he's he's incredibly action-oriented, results-oriented, like, let's get the job done. Let's do the best work we can for, for the, the folks we represent. Uh, and I think that's appropriate. That's the right way to be. Um, I think that's, you know, that is Lucy McBath and that is Carolyn Bordeaux. They're really results-oriented. They're really hardworking. And, you know, they win tough elections in competitive seats. And what is happening because of the map that is, you know, the extremely partisan map that's being put forward in, in Georgia is, you know, you're going to be deprived of, uh, you're being deprived of, of uh, uh, at least one good member of Congress, not to mention, you know, uh, the possibility of many more. And I think that's, you know, ultimately, uh, that's a real shame. But uh, in answering your question, in those situations, you know, we typically sit out and I, uh, I think that, you know, for your members, I think, it's really hard for me to say. Um, I think, you know, obviously everybody has different relationships and that seat will be, that seat is very democratic. So if the, you know, if, if it, if it doesn't, you know, if it isn't changed by, um, you know, a court, whoever wins that primary is coming to Congress. Tim, quick, quick a question for you on uh, the, the impact of the, of the Virginia gubernatorial race. And then of course the, the, the New Jersey race, two, two starkly different races, right? One is an open seat, one is a, a sitting incumbent. Um, and I've always thought that that you you risk uh overreading those two races, uh, as, as well as the risk of, of underreading them too. Um, but especially with you know, a lot has been written in the last month about about those two races and in and, and shockwaves they sent across Washington, DC. Sure. Um, tell tell me what your take is, especially with your frontline members in particular. And for our, our listeners, the the DCCC's frontline members are, are the are the incumbents uh, in Congress now, Democratic incumbents uh, that are um, that, that probably need the most protection. I guess that would be the the, the way to say it. Um, but but ones that are that that you all want to make sure are returned to return to Congress. So, so a little bit of those sure. of that those governor races and what they mean for you and I go forward. Well, what I what I love about. Um, those kinds of elections. Uh, so I'm a I'm a Pennsylvania guy. Grew up a Philly, uh, you know, everything Philly fan. Uh, 
Uh, so I love the Sixers and there's a podcast that I listen to and they have a saying, the saying was, it only counts if we win. And that's kind of how I feel about those, those elections is, you know, they only count if you win, if you don't win, then they don't count. I think that it's a, uh, there's a bunch of, as you said, Jim, overlearning. Uh, that's not to say that there's not important lessons, but I think it is a mistake to look at single one-off elections and say, okay, well, that is indicative of what's coming next. But I think, uh, you know, proof is in the pudding there in uh, that 2020 was, there was not a clear and decisive victory for the Democrats. Like you would have, you would have thought, but governor's races are weird. You know, like the, the three most democratic states in, in uh, America, uh, you know, by, by Joe Biden margin are, Vermont, Massachusetts, and Maryland. You know what else they have in common? They all have Republican governors. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Democrats are, you know, sitting in governor's mansions in Kansas and, like I said, Kentucky, Louisiana. Uh, they're just, governor's races are not, like I said, there's something to take from it, but it's, I shouldn't overlearn it. That said, I think, you know, we did see some trends that we're following closely. I think that they're, there's an incentive to have, you know, the most interesting take on Twitter. Uh, and then sometimes that, you know, that reading can be overtaken in time by uh, learning more about like, okay, who actually voted? Where were the votes, you know, coming from? What was the strength? You know, what did the, you know, when we did uh, exit interviews, what did the people say moved them? Like, it turns out sometimes it's not exactly what Twitter said it was. And I think, uh, I think ultimately elections are really nuanced. All of that said, um, I think that we are laser focused on the lessons we can take from it, which frankly are not that different from the lessons we learned in 2020. It makes us feel like we're probably on the right track. Uh, and also something that I, I will mention is that, uh, or I will point to is oftentimes federal special elections can indicate uh, directionally, uh, the, the ultimate results in, in the on-year election. Uh, you know, we saw this in 2018 where, uh, Democrats dramatically overperformed. Like basically if you were, you know, uh, you know, if you were on a ballot, you were going to do pretty well, uh, you know, as a Democrat, uh, particularly in special elections, uh, for, for Congress, um, you know, we saw in 20, you know, 2019 lead up to 2020, a little bit more of a mixed bag. It wasn't so clear one way or the other, which I think is ultimately what 2020 was. Uh, and so far this cycle uh, in 2021, when we've had elections where it's been, you know, a Democrat versus a Republican, not, you know, a, you know, a jungle primary is what they call like the, the Texas, you know, the Texas situation or, you know, stuff like that. When we've had Democrats versus Republicans in competitive or not competitive seats, the, the election results have largely matched the Biden Trump performance, like very, very little difference, maybe like very slight underperformance or overperformance either direction, but not, not a clear trend line. Uh, which I think is, you know, it's fine. You know, it's just, it's not, it's not the gloom and doom uh, scenario that you heard from Virginia. The same night uh, that those state elections happened, we had two special elections in Ohio, one in a very democratic place, one in a very Republican place. And the results were like basically mirror images of the, of the presidential. So, you know, I think 
all of that to say, I think you need to take a lot of this stuff into account. Uh, we certainly are. We're not. Um, we're not dismissing anything. Uh, you know, just because we don't like the results. Um, but I, I do think there was a bit of an overreaction to the to the the off the off cycle uh, elections. Tim, you mentioned that you're, you're focused like a laser. Uh, you've got a lot of elections going on. Do you and your team uh, work and try and stay in contact with every one of your candidates' uh, individual um, um, campaign uh, machines? And do you try and tailor the messaging individually to each one? Or is it strictly a party line message? And I ask that because there seem to be great uh, variances in the political philosophies of a lot of the Democratic candidates right now. So, yeah, we do work with everybody individually. And I think we, you know, we have focused on helping put together a team that is diverse uh, in experience and background so that we have uh, a, a good set of viewpoints to provide our members and our candidates. You know, one of the one of the key lessons that I have learned over the last, you know, however many cycles is there are huge macro forces in play. This is true of any industry. It's certainly true of politics. Like, didn't matter how good the home was that you built in 2008, you were going to have a hard time selling it. Like, sometimes it's just the, you know, the force of nature uh, over overtakes. That's certainly true. But it's not, it's not usually like that. Uh, usually it's, you know, it's somewhere in between, uh, somewhere in between, you know, the housing market of 2004 and the housing market of 2009. Usually it's, it's actually not like that. Um, I think the same is true of politics. Like, you know, the, there are macro forces at play. You know, we have a more partisan electorate than ever before, not maybe not ever before, but certainly more than, than in recent history. So like there's less ticket splitting than before. and that's all certainly true. However, elections are won. The House of Representatives and, and the Senate, those, I mean, the White House, but it, in Congress, it's won seat by seat. And candidates really matter. And personal stories really matter. Uh, and, and an individual message that's tailored to the you know, group of people that you're trying to reach really matters. Uh, and so while the you know, the baseline conversation will always be informed by the national, you know, the national environment, what's happening, you know, in Washington, what's happening in state capitals. That That is true. That will always be driven um, by, you know, by the national, the national conversation. Individual conversations, individual message is critical uh, to to victory. And so I think, you know, I think that the, you know, the Republicans are really counting on some macro forces at play. Uh, and that's, you know, totally reasonable, totally reasonable approach. Uh, but you still got to win all those seats. And our, our members are, uh, you know, the folks who are uh, in these districts are the most accomplished, the most, uh, you know, the hardest fighting, you know, best candidates that we have, you know, another, uh, like these are the pros pros. This is the all pro team. So like, uh, I think, I think it is a mistake to, to lean too heavily on the national, on the national environment. 
you know, Tim, one of the one of the maybe the macro uh, uh, effects uh, that are out there that, that certainly I think help help the majority is the passage uh, of an enactment of uh, the infrastructure bill, the, the 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 BIF or whatever we're calling it now, but certainly the infrastructure portion of the build of the president's Build Back Better plan. A, a big win. Uh, it's something NHB supports, uh, and, and, and imagine constituents uh, like roads and bridges that work, right? And, and transit and trains, and you know, hopefully, we, you know, we're as a, as an industry that's affected by the supply train, whether it's uh, getting the trucking industry moving again, whether it's getting the ports, all this good stuff. Um, so, so, and and then, you know, what? Hopefully, over the next, you know, three weeks. Uh, we'll see the, the the kind of the third piece if if COVID back in the spring being the first part of the president's plan uh, is is kind of the culmination of the of the Build Back Better plan with the, the social infrastructure bill. Talk a little bit about the impact that that federal legislation could, will have on on your candidates uh, and their ability to retain the, the House majority next year. I think it's critical, and I'm not just saying that. We've got research that shows that the component pieces of the infrastructure plan and build back better uh, are, are all wildly popular <laughs> among voters across you know all spectrums uh, you know and that's been borne out by a lot of other people's research as well uh, I think what comes now is telling people what happened like uh, you know making sure that our members go out and communicate, uh, to their voters, like this is happening because of what we did. Like we did this thing, uh, and you know, to your point, it's it's really useful when you can stand in front of a bridge or a dam or a project and and point to this is happening or this will happen because of the work of you know members of Congress, uh, you know, in some cases, state and local folks, and the president of the United States. Like all of these things are interconnected, and and they. They will lower costs for for people. They will ease supply chain problems. They will, uh, you know, supply chain issues. Again, as you guys know, if you can get if you can get uh, material from point A to B to C to D to market a lot faster, you can uh, you can make more things in America. <laughs> you know, you can reduce costs along the production line. So I think what what we need to do as uh, as a party is make sure we go out and tell them uh, and make sure we go out and, and communicate with folks in a way that uh, makes it clear that, you know, we are taking things that are, you know, affecting them seriously and we're doing something about it. We're delivering on the promises that we made and here's how it's showing up in your lives. I think that's the, that's the key, uh, you know, be big, be simple, show up in people's lives. It makes perfect sense when it's you know, like you said, uh, you know, sometimes complicated gets in the way, right? So, well, we uh, we certainly appreciate you coming on, Tim, today. Uh, and taking time to visit with us and our and our and our listeners to to explain a little bit about you know what what you see. You know, we're we're just under a year out now. Uh, you know, the, with the midterm election, still still some more legislating left to do here in 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 twenty twenty one. Yeah, no, and I I, I just want to say I, I you know I appreciate uh, again I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, and I think, you know, I'm going to say it a, a third time, so sorry, but uh, a lot of my experience was on the, you know, was on the Hill, but, you know, more importantly, was working in a community uh, like the Hudson Valley. Some of the best partners I had were, were the home builders uh, and, you know, home builders in conjunction with the building trades 
uh, you know, because that's that's the New York way. Uh, got together and you know they were some of Sean were and continue to be some of Sean Maloney's like uh, closest allies because they've matched the way that he views this. Is it's just about the work, honestly. It's about getting the things done, and all the other stuff is you know. Uh, all the other stuff is, is, you know, can be distracting, can be, you know, more dramatic, more interesting, but ultimately it's just about getting things done. And so we got to figure out how to see what through, you know, the, the nonsense and work together to get stuff, you know, to get things in the ground, <laughs> uh, to get shovels in the ground, to get, uh, to get structures put up, to get buildings in place. Uh, and so it's, it's always been a real pleasure to work with you guys. Uh, and so, uh, uh, and again, especially in Hudson Valley, I think it represents, you know, what uh, what what politics could be is folks, you know, they don't agree 100 percent of the time, but they do agree about 80 percent of the time. And that's pretty important. <laughs> and so, you know, they've chosen to focus on the 80 percent, unlike, uh, you know, what sometimes happens down here where we focus on the 20 percent. And so, uh, you know, I think we could do uh we could do for a little more uh of the spirit you guys exude i think that's what the democrats have been showing this this congress is uh a focus on delivering instead of dividing uh a focus on the work instead of you know the nonsense uh and i think ultimately you know that'll matter and that'll count and when you have when you show up in november with nothing uh, no plans and just a bunch of a bunch of nonsense. I think it's really hard to make the case against people who are standing in front of a, you know, a bridge. Uh, and so, you know, I like our chances. Well, Tim, uh, you certainly are a lot more optimistic than you were quoted as being back in the summertime, uh, where you delivered a pretty blunt message to your caucus, and clearly the work that you're putting in um, is making you feel a lot better about that. Uh, well, Jerry, I do want to say that. Quote in the summer was about, uh, so when I was a kid, I, I, was a, I was an athlete, and one of my coaches would always say to me, you look at my face and say, Timmy, listen, I called over, and they can't move the race to today. It's still next week. And that was, that's the spirit that we're bringing to this is we have to be honest and say, guys, like we got to get in gear. We got to pass this infrastructure bill. We have to pass these, these, this legislation. And then we have to go out and talk about it because if we do, we will win. If we don't, we will lose. And it's just that simple. And so I think that has been the, the message that we've been trying to put forward, even after the Virginia and New Jersey is our election still next year. That wasn't great, but our election is still next year. Uh, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a close election uh, come next, uh, next fall. And uh, we look forward as home builders to, to continuing to work with people of both parties who find that housing uh, has an important role to play in our economy and in the fabric of our society. So we're grateful for all that you've done for us, and we look forward to continuing our partnership going forward. Thanks for being with us, Tim, and uh, happy holiday season. Yeah, happy holidays, guys. You too. Happy holidays. It was very interesting to hear uh, Tim Persico uh, and his views on things. He's a straight-talking uh, guy. The interview that I was referring to uh, happened back in August, and I, I gather that their uh, Chairman Maloney called uh, the Democratic caucus together, and Tim Persico delivered just the message that he did with us. If they pass legislation, 
they'll win. If they don't, they won't. So uh, we're going to be watching what you and your team are doing up on the Hill pretty closely. Do you think um, that this social package uh, will pass uh, as it currently stands or even in a modified way uh, prior to them going home at Christmas? Yeah, Jerry, I think, uh, I, I, I think that you're, uh, I'm going to stick to what I've been saying, saying the whole time. I think they get this done this year. Uh, there's been some reports about Senator Manchin. He's not on his own, he's on his own timetable. Uh, he wants to modify it. I do think it gets modified uh, in the Senate, but that, that he maybe this passes in January or February that he's a, he's in no rush. I still, I still like that the odds are better. They get this done before Christmas uh, than, uh, than, than, than not. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that, and 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 you know we'll see if it rolls into next year, but it gets more complicated uh, once you get into 2022. Uh, I, I agree. The, the the other point that Tim made is an interesting one. He talked about three of the most democratic states in the union having Republican governors. Um, I happened to read the probably the same poll he read um, this weekend. Uh, what he didn't mention, but what bolsters his point about bipartisanship is that those three Republican governors are the three most popular governors in the country. You're talking about Phil Scott in Vermont, Larry Hogan in Maryland, and Charlie Baker in Massachusetts have the highest approval ratings of any governors. What do you make of that? Well, I, I think, you know, one of, his, one of, one of Tim's themes was about get, getting something done. That His boss, Sean Patrick Maloney, was about getting something done uh, taking taking eighty percent of something's always better than than uh, than than zero percent of of everything, um, and so I think that you have in those three governors in particular, uh, they have to work across party lines because their constituencies are largely Democratic, their state houses are largely Democratic. So if you're going to get something done for the citizens of those states. You've got to compromise, and, and and everybody gets a little bit of something, but 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 nobody gets everything that they want. That I think is lost in Washington D.C. and has been for the last several years, more than several years. The parties have gotten more and more polarized, uh, even from the top of the tickets on down, all the way to members of Congress. The wings of the party are 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 controlling the leadership in a lot of ways. The progressives in the House held up the infrastructure bill for months, and it really wasn't until after those those two close elections in Virginia and in uh, New Jersey, despite <clears throat> Tim's, uh, Tim's thought that the governor races are weird, uh, that sent a shockwave through Washington, D.C., and, and actually finally got that infrastructure bill over the line. Um, we'll see what happens with, with the social infrastructure package. Uh, that's another fight between moderates and progressives. Um, but I think that those governors in those states They've got to work work hard. That makes them really popular because their citizens see that. And, you know, Jim, it's not lost on me um, that Tim's boss, uh, he, he was chief of staff for Sean Patrick Maloney. Now Maloney is the chairman of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Maloney is a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus, one of the moderate Democrats like our friend that our listeners know of, uh, Josh Gottheimer, who try to work across party lines. I don't think it's a coincidence that Speaker Pelosi on uh, the Democratic leadership put a moderate, a bipartisan kind of a guy like Maloney in charge of that congressional campaign committee. I think it was a brilliant move. And if they do hold on to the House, I think that'll be the reason why. Yeah, well, agreed. I, I think if the groups like the problem solvers 
uh, can actually be given the credit for the work that they've done. And, and they're starting to get more of that. I think that helps both parties. Uh, if you know, you've always said this, you know, housing does better when it's right down the middle. Uh, the problem solvers are, are in that in that vein. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks here. We sure will. And uh, listeners should be aware that uh, because we are a bipartisan organization, that our next podcast uh, will be a similar kind of a conversation with uh, Tim's counterpoint at the Republican uh, House Congressional Campaign Committee. Uh, so that we'll give you the other side of the story. In the meantime, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Jim and I both want to encourage you to register for the IBS. Uh, it's going to be a great show. Registration is going incredibly well. Builders want to get back together in person, share ideas, uh, share some stories, share a couple of drinks. Uh, and we're going to do that in February in Orlando. Jim and I are both going to be there. We'll be there. I can't wait. In the meantime, thanks for listening to Housing Developments. I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. Take care. Bye-bye.